We know that cannabis legalization is coming to this country in October. Still a lot of questions, though, as to what it will look like in various places and what the response will be once it is legalized. One university campus, at least uh, members of a committee on one campus, have taken a stance, though. And we're joined now by Chris Montoya, a senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Thompson Rivers University. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, What has Thompson Rivers University and the group, specifically the group you were on, what has the decision been when it comes to uh, cannabis and cannabis legalization? The uh, Joint Occupational Health and Safety Committee, when presented with uh, scientifically based facts, voted to ban all smoking of marijuana products on campus. And what were some of the reasons for that to vote? Uh, They were presented with information from international peer-reviewed journals science-based journals uh, that showed that with animal, in the animal model, and we tend to look at animal models because in the human models, um, the data is a bit more confounded because people that smoke marijuana also tend to take cocaine or other drugs. But uh, with the animal model, we deny the animal these kind of drugs. What we see is DNA fragmentation, especially if the mother's been smoking marijuana that goes on to the kids. It inhibits the synaptic formation. Uh, <clears throat> In, in the brain. If I use terms that aren't familiar, stop me. Sure. Uh, we also look at a motivational syndrome. Uh, there's a really good uh, paper from the New England Journal, uh, Vocal 2014, that talks about people that uh, smoke marijuana, especially in their teens, late teens, early 20s, not being motivated to work. And so these things we, f- we felt would be detrimental to uh, studying at a university. Uh, in addition, Remember Cheech and Chong in the 60s? Uh, yes, I think everybody remembers Cheech and Chong. There you go. They smoke what's called ditch weed, and that was uh, 1.5% THC. That's the active ingredient. Uh, <clears throat> that's the percent weight of THC in the ditch weed. Currently, hydroponically grown, genetically engineered, BC bud is, runs up to about, can run up to 30% THC. That's a 20-fold increase in potency. And spice and other synthetic uh, cannabinoids, uh, they can run up to 30 times stronger than that. That would be a 600-fold increase in strength from the 60s. And so when you're walking by someone smoking marijuana on campus, you don't know what you're getting with side, uh, side stream smoke. And so we did suggest that uh, for medical marijuana purposes, the edibles, uh, gummy bears, or pills would be okay because you're not then... Uh, contaminating the air for other people around you. And what about the argument that I think some have made that the university has specific designated smoking areas and that they could have, once it's legalized, that they should be able to have uh, designated smoking areas for cannabis as well? Hmm. Um, A lot of people don't know that with tobacco, um, the active ingredient there is nicotine. And if you remember the old-time uh, pictures of a writer, he'd be sitting in his typewriter, and he'd have a cup of coffee in front of him smoking a cigarette. Uh, nicotine, interestingly enough, uh, affects the acetylcholine system. <laughs> I, I tend to do this the brain scientist, so stop me if I get jabbering too much. But I love the brain. There are over 100 billion neurons in the brain cell. Each neuron can fire up to 20, it's up to 1,000 times a second, and there are up to 20,000 connections. Uh, there are more connections to the human brain than stars in the visible universe. 
there are 106 putative neurotransmitters in the brain. Acetylcholine is one, and we, we know about acetylcholine because it has to do with uh, things like Alzheimer's. But acetylcholine has two receptor types, nicotinic and muscarinic. And, of course, nicotine works in the muscarinic system. So nicotine with caffeine tends to dial a person in and make them, I would say, smarter for a while. <clears throat> On the other hand, um, things like marijuana are intoxicants, and they tend to do the opposite. And so, yes, we have designated smoking areas. But if you walk by those cigarettes and with the nicotine, uh, the side effect would be smarter for a while, uh, even though it's carcinogenic. Marijuana, side effect would be dumber for a while. Uh, side effect, carcinogenic. Because most people don't realize that marijuana smoke is as carcinogenic or more carcinogenic than uh, cigarette smoke. So you won't stop people can completely from doing this. This there'll be a ban from doing this on campus. That doesn't mean somebody can't consume cannabis in whatever way outside of that. But what would the That's penalties right. be, or how would this be policed on campus to ensure people aren't consuming cannabis on the on the campus grounds? Well, for medical marijuana, if they're consuming cannabis in the form of edibles, no problem. You're not polluting the air. Uh, recently in Kamloops, <clears throat> uh, we stopped uh, an Ajax mine, Ajax mine from coming in because it was too close to the city for the reasons of air pollution. Uh, and so the same, one second. Sir. Um, Repeat the question, please. I, I'm just wondering how you police this. Will there will there be would there be campus security that if somebody was uh, say smoking marijuana because it, it's obvious obviously the smell alone gives somebody away. Would it be wh- what would be the penalty or how would it be policed if somebody was consuming this on campus? Okay, good. Yeah, you just you faded out a bit there. Um, it's up, right now. It's up to the professor. So if a student comes in and they're intoxicated, then it's up to us to either remove them from the classroom or take various steps. And, and what would you do then as a, as a senior lecturer if somebody came in and you thought they were under the influence or maybe they just consumed cannabis? Um, as a senior lecturer, I would probably, if they were causing disturbance in class, ask them to leave. In the past, uh, I've had students come in uh, that reeked of marijuana and they're, they're asked to go because the students complained. Because it does seem it's a lot about when you when you talk about the secondhand smoke, and I think that's part of the conversation that often doesn't get discussed. Is it's uh, people can choose what to do with their own bodies, but when it starts to infringe on somebody else or it starts to impact somebody else, uh, that's when it becomes an issue. And that, that's exactly the point. So if you're walking by uh, someone who in a smoking area that is smoking, let's say spice. It's 600 times stronger than the times than, than the stuff that Cheech and Chong smoked. Then just the walking by and maybe chatting with them a bit would intoxicate you, especially if you're not if you don't have the tolerance built up. Have you had any response to the vote at this point? Um, as you know, we we were published in the Conversation and in the National Post, and I've had uh, several comments from people, uh, and it's it's running about I'd say. 60-40 in favor of more stringent restraints on, on marijuana. Would you like to see other universities follow suit, or have you heard from any other universities? The University of Calgary, my alma mater for my master's and PhD, they seem to be following suit. And I'm, I'm sure that the other ones will follow in similar veins, because it's, it's a health and safety issue, right?
All right. Well, Chris Montoya, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you coming on to talk about this this morning. I'm sure we will get a response as well. But thank you again so much. Appreciate your time today. No problem at all. Have a great day. All right. You too. Well, when you hear the word plastic, the first thing that comes to your mind probably is not energy efficient vehicle. But that is exactly what some research is looking at out of the University of Victoria. And joining us on the line to talk a bit more about this and about some of the findings is Jeremy Wolf, the associate professor in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Victoria. And Jeremy joins us on the line now. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning. Good morning. How did you even start looking at this? Because this is a very durable industrial plastic. It's got a couple of downsides and that's what you've been looking at as well. That's right. So the material that we've been studying, it's called polydicyclopentadiene. Uh, and it's a, it's an incredibly tough industrial polymer. Uh, essentially, if you make a, a truck cab or, or a, a big piece of industrial equipment, body panels for your backhoe uh, out of this material, the, the entire uh, object that you make, the entire body panel, is one gigantic molecule. And that gives it incredible strength. But it does come with some downsides, like you said. Um, one is that uh, it, it's not really chemically tunable, so you can't... You can't change the properties of the material the way that you would think to change the properties of other polymers that you might be familiar with uh, from, uh, let's say, uh, uh, polyacrylic acid to polyacrylates, right? The dis- difference between uh, uh, diaper filling, which is very uh, uh, absorbs water, and, and carpet fibers, which repel water, is, is really just a small chemical change. And, and that kind of uh, tunability is not present on polydicyclopentadiene. The, the second problem is that it's, it's not recyclable, and that's because the crosslinks that form in the material, there's really no way to undo those. And then the third problem is that it, it kind of smells bad. It, it, it has a residual smell of the, the monomer that's used to make the material, uh, which people uh, aren't very fond of. And so because of those three things, it, it, it's uh, been used a lot to make heavy equipment and, and uh, heavy-duty uh, uh, vehicles, but really has, has not penetrated the small car market. Uh, and we thought that maybe if we could uh, fix some of those problems, uh, that we'd be able to apply our modified polydicyclopinidine material uh, to smaller vehicles with the idea that that, that would allow us to replace uh, steel and aluminum components uh, in traditional vehicle design, uh, which in turn results in a, a savings of weight, uh, which of course results in a lot uh, better fuel efficiency for that vehicle. And how did you come about then? Was that a difficult process to figure out how do you add something to this or how do you change this to make it uh, more, I suppose, uh, attractive? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So um, the... Uh, Adding, adding the functional group in the first place was actually a little bit of an accident, uh, as a lot of things are in science. We, we were making molecules that are similar uh, to the molecule that, that we've developed here uh, for a completely different purpose. My, my lab is not really a polymer chemistry lab initially. Uh, we make small molecules, drug molecules, molecules that are supposed to treat cancer and, and, uh, and infectious diseases. Um, but one of the structures that we'd made... Uh, we recognized was related uh, to the mon- to the uh, material dicyclopentadiene, which is the starting material to make this industrial polymer, uh, except that it had these functional groups on it. And, and we thought, you know, that, that potentially presents an opportunity 
Uh, and then we, we had to redesign our structure a little bit to put the functional group in the right place uh, so that it would uh, still allow the polymerization to take place, uh, and we did that. And also to put the functional group in the, in the place that would eventually support uh, uncoupling of the molecular crosslinks that, that would in turn allow us down the road, at least, to develop a uh, recyclable process for the material. And so it's been a, a couple of years of research um, to translate that initial idea into something where at least we can uh, have uh, objects that, that we make out of the plastic. Right now, of course, fairly small objects. We, we just finished developing a reaction injection molding process uh, for the, the polymer that we make. So we can make things that are sort of a, an inch or two high, um, but once we've got that recipe in hand, which we do now, uh, we should be able to translate that uh, with partners that, that work in chemical engineering and, and in uh, larger uh, uh, mechanical facilities uh, to scale up and, and start making uh, injection molding, uh, molded body panels and, and such. So it would be the entire body of your vehicle, then one huge molecule? Yeah, it's an incredible thought, you know, to, to think of the it, it, either the whole vehicle or, or whatever parts you make and then and then you bolt together. I should mention actually in terms of attaching the, the pieces together, um, another limitation to polydicyclopentadiene in the past has been that it has a fairly low surface energy, which means that the, the surface of that uh, body panel that you you injection mold uh, is really just carbons and hydrogens. That means that it's hard to glue uh, that part that you've made to some other part that's made in your car, either the the, uh, the frame of the vehicle or, or, or whatever other part you want to attach. It's also hard to paint. And so one of the big things that we did uh, uh, in terms of developing this chemical tunability that I, that I talked about earlier uh, was to increase the surface energy of the material. That means that we, should, we can make it uh, easier to uh, apply adhesives and, and easier to apply paint. Uh, and that should allow us to, to more easily... Uh, sort of plug in our material to traditional uh, automotive engineering. Uh, you mentioned too, and it, it's used in, in heavy-duty construction vehicles and things, backhoes, uh, excavators, snowmobiles, but uh, you also mentioned that, the foul smell of it. Uh, do, do people that use those things notice that? I, I think there's a lot of other foul smells that go on. <laughs> it, it's not that bad of a smell, you know. I'm a synthetic organic chemist, so I spend my whole day surrounded by solvents and things like that. Uh, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask about this. Uh, I, I find that it, you can you can smell a little bit of residual monomer associated with it, uh, even even on a piece. We have a we have a piece in our lab of of traditional polydicyclopentadiene that that we bought from a supplier a couple of years ago, and and even now you can still smell a little bit of that that residual monomer smell. I don't find that it's that bad, but apparently it's a, it, it's been a challenge in uh, bringing polydicyclopentadiene into the, let's say, consumer market. Um, so one of the things that we did when we added our functional group to the monomer, uh, it, the functional group is, is an ester, and that's a, that's a piece of chemistry that you'd be more familiar with from the, the beer industry. Uh, lots of the nice flavor molecules in, in beer are, are ester compounds. Uh, and so, as you might expect, when we added the ester uh, functional uh, group to the to the monomer, it, it changes the smell quite a bit. It makes it smell a little bit more like flowers. So, uh, any any residual monomer that is present in the polymer uh, has a much less objectionable smell. Uh, of course, the idea generally when you when you make a polymer is to convert all of your 
small molecule building block to that large molecule, but there's always a, a small trace of the starting material left. And, and so the smell, I guess, is, is, has been improved quite a bit. <laughs> that is good to hear. Uh, you mentioned it's, it's been a couple of years. How long do you figure, how much more time do you put into this? Uh, or, or I guess, where do you go from here? Well, we're looking for industrial partners now to uh, to help us to commercialize the material. Um, the uh, the processes that we've developed have been patented, uh, and uh, but but our lab is not uh, equipped to make things on ton scale. Let's say for for automotive engineering purposes. Uh, so we've been able to develop a recipe that allows us to scale up from say milligram scale to hundreds of gram scale. That's quite a lot for our lab. We've got, this is actually the most we've ever made of anything is, is this material. So it's been fun to have objects that we can play with in the lab and try and break them. And, of course, they're, they're so strong, you can hit them with hammers and things like that, and they don't, don't fall apart. So that's been kind of a fun process for us. Uh, but to bring us to the next step where we're making uh, uh, body panels and, and larger objects that are sort of tens of kilos uh, in size, uh, we really need a, a, a larger engineering uh, facility, uh, and so we're looking to uh, to partner with those kinds of people now. Um, once that happens, it could be a fairly quick process, actually. Uh, unlike developing a drug, uh, there's no uh, 10-year approval process that you need to go through um, uh, to demonstrate efficacy in in, uh, in vivo and things like that. And so uh, it could be a, a relatively quick process to, to start uh, exploring at least some niche applications. Of course, at the beginning, our material would be considerably more expensive than traditional polydicyclopenadiene, but that price should come down as uh, economies of scale start to uh, start to kick in. All right. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, Jeremy, I apologize if I said your name incorrectly uh, right off the top. But thank okay. you for coming on the program and talking about this today. Appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you for your interest. I have to say this is the earliest in the morning that I've ever talked about <laughs> polymer science. So that, that, was a, that was a fun conversation. All right. There you go. First time for everything. That's right. <laughs> All right. Have a great rest of your weekend. All the best. Thank you. All right. That is Jeremy Wolf, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, a UVic chemist talking about uh, taking this uh, incredible material. Will we one day have an entire body of a truck or car made from one molecule? Maybe.